What I'm trying to get at here, Jodes, with the hopefully plentiful readers as my witnesses, is that I don't want you to take what's coming personally. You were, and remain, an outstanding mother. One who egged on, and helped to foster, any and all of the creative interests I've had since before my memory begins. So just keep that in mind, along with the fact that I'm your son, and I love you. That is, if you continue reading past here, which, in my heart, I can't really recommend. I'm about to flog your cooking. Over here, gentlemen. I have a I'm Joe Stracci, and I better start writing this down. Episode 16 The Food My Mother Made, Part 1. Introduction I wasn't going to write this. Well, at first, a few years ago, I was going to. And then, I didn't. And then, when I began planning this season, I was going to again, and then I couldn't. I just couldn't find a way in. But then, a couple of months ago, I read an article in the New York Times magazine memories of meals past and it hit me like a thunderclap I knew what I had to do the bones of this episode date back to July of 2012 when I wrote the following this book became tangible spoken out loud words while my wife Danielle and I were driving in our Nissan Rogue on February 18, 2012, after eating in an Italian restaurant, Biscotti, which oddly enough serves no Biscotti, near our home in Connecticut. We'd gone out to dinner with Danielle's parents and two of our nieces. Danielle ordered fettuccine Alfredo. Afterwards, after the usual hugs and kisses goodbye, since we were already out, we decided to go to the store to pick up cat litter. The Saturday night married life. At the time, this was the beginning of what I thought would be a collection of essays about the food my mother made when I was a kid. I tentatively titled it, The Food My Mother Made. The first sentences of the collection were going to be, My mother is going to read this. That was my first thought. Well, maybe my second. But before I get to that, let me give you some backstory. So, now that I've decided to further explore this project, let me actually give you some backstory. On our way to the pet store, we were passing through Danbury when I blurted out one of Danielle's favorite phrases. Want to know something weird I just thought of? I have a habit of doing this. Epiphanic remembrances from childhood. Memories that... I literally hadn't recalled in years that wind up being described to Danielle while we're driving somewhere. I do my best thinking in cars. Danielle has probably learned too much of my family history from these stories, actually. Her entree was the catalyst. 
we were talking about it and how I don't like Alfredo sauce, mostly because it's hard to sit there eating what I know is just a mixture of butter and cream. And that's when it happened. Want to know something weird I just thought of? It's another dish my mother used to make when I was a kid that I hated. This was a topic we'd discussed before. We both grew up in predominantly Italian-American households, and so the entire circle of life as we understood it was dotted with reasons to gather around food. Our memories were intertwined with food, and they were not always positive. Danielle said, I know what you're going to say. The packet? I said. Danielle laughed and said, Yep. The packet of Just Add Liquid Alfredo Sauce. I remember that. And that's when it happened. I did what I always do when the memories involve food. I described the food, the setting, the feeling. And Danielle laughed and shook her head and thought, He is such a weirdo. It's true, I've confirmed that she thought this. And that's when she said it, a la Seinfeld in that episode where George and Jerry are trying to write the pilot for Jerry's fictional sitcom, and in the middle of one of their typical conversations about nothing, George blurts out that, You should write this, she said. This should be your next thing. Yeah, I said. Sure. All the Food My Mother Made That I Hated by Joe Stracci. Now, it's important to understand two things here. First is the fact that Danielle, up until this point, had never said anything like this. She's not a writer, not a reader. And while I turn to her opinion on the vast majority of my work, it's to get a very base level yay or nay reaction. Her criticism is super effective because it isn't grounded in literary dogma. It either feels right to her, or it doesn't. She's not afraid to say so. She's got no inclination to offer up how I could improve it. That's not in her wheelhouse anyway. Second is the fact that my wife and I are amateur foodies. We enjoy cooking challenging meals. The freshest ingredients that we can get our hands on. Perfecting recipes. Weird flavors. We chose our honeymoon destination, Barcelona, mostly because of its culinary treasures. And while we were there, we feasted on everything from 3 a.m. takeout bocadillos and tortilla to an 800 euro meal at Abac. I'd be misleading you if I declined to admit that our refined, bougie food expectations sometimes conflict with both of our humble beginnings. Social progression isn't always easy. At the end of the day, we both enjoy Bronx-style pizza by the slice, just as much as we enjoyed the tuna pizza at Commerce 24. Hopefully you can hear the air quotes around tuna pizza. We both feel like we're better off for it. Danielle said, No, really. You should do it. You tell these stories so well. The way you describe the food and everything. I've never heard anything like it before. You really should do it. And I had to admit it. She had a point. It could work. There are plenty of memoirs and plenty of food writing, even memoirs about food, 
but not quite in this vein. The bonus was that this was my style, pared down, distinct instances, photographs and words, an in-depth exploration of all the awful memories of specific meals from my childhood. And that's when I thought it. My mother is going to read this. Danielle, being the occasional pseudo-mind-reader wife that she is, laughed and said, Your mom would freak out. I said, Well, yeah, but not if I wrote an introduction where I explained everything. So that's what this is. Or at least, that's what it was. In 2012, I went on to write, What am I explaining? I'm 27 as of writing this. And even without the responsibilities my mother already had at my age, a fledgling career, the upkeep of a house in the midst of said career, a four-year-old, I can fully understand and appreciate how and why some of these meals took place. Most of, if not all of them, had something to do with the speed at which they were able to be prepped and cooked. My mother worked the second shift long before it was a term taught to me in Intro to Sociology in college, and to keep sane, she had to cut corners somewhere. Money also played a role. It was the late 80s, early 90s. Terms like organic and farm-to-table, grocery stores like Fairway and Whole Foods, these were terms that weren't used. Stores that did not exist, in the Bronx at least. Hell, there wasn't even a bookstore in the Bronx before 1999. Seriously, look it up. And even if there had been cruelty-free chicken available, or agave nectar, or local milk, my teacher mother and parking garage attendant father wouldn't have had the means to purchase any of it anyway. Now, hamburger helper? Well... It did just that. It helped a package of ground beef become a full meal for an extra $3 and an extra 10 minutes of cooking, albeit one that I secretly thought smelled and tasted like dog food, but more on that later. Back in the present, and I'm 31 now, my mom is dead. My dad, who the hell knows. The rest, it still applies though. I ended the introduction with the following. What I'm trying to get at here, Jodes, with the hopefully plentiful readers as my witnesses, is that I don't want you to take what's coming personally. You were, and remain, an outstanding mother. One who egged on, and helped to foster, any and all of the creative interests I've had since before my memory begins. So just keep that in mind along with the fact that I'm your son, and I love you. That is, if you continue reading past here, which, in my heart, I can't really recommend. I'm about to flog your cooking. Come to think of it, I guess that all still applies too. Just in a way that I didn't envision, back in July of 2012. My mom won't pass or fail the test, of my recommending her not to keep reading. And that's a good thing, because it's true. I'm about to flog my mother's cooking. All these patties, pickles, 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 pickles,
McDonald's, 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 big sandwich with great big taste that everybody's talking about. Sesame Street bun, and we forgot the onions. Yes, it did. Yes, it did say onions. Sure? It, it said onions. <laughs> all right, 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 Epigraph. There is something evanescent, temporary, and fragile about food. You make it, it goes, and what remains are memories. Jacques Pepin. Chapter 1. McDonald's. McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's. It's appropriately American and situationally ironic that the first story in an episode titled The Food My Mother Made is about McDonald's, food my mother obviously did not make. My parents were married in December of 1983. My mother had just turned 23 on the 12th and my father was 24. At the time, they lived in a small one-bedroom apartment in the Pelham Bay section of the Bronx. It was the ground floor apartment of a two-family home. The landlords were an older Italian couple, Luigi and Rosa. My mother was finishing her graduate degree in early childhood education, and my father was nearing the end of his incredibly short stint as a police officer. I'd love to provide a footnote here detailing some incredibly interesting reason why said stint was so short, but as my mother liked to say, it was as simple as he was too nervous to be a cop. Before settling into his soul-crushing job managing parking garages in Manhattan. On top of her master's pursuit, my mother also taught at a daycare in Co-op City in the Bronx. While I'm sure the advancement of women at work and in the home had taken great leaps, comparatively, by this time, it hadn't quite reached our home. And so on top of an already incredibly busy week, it was my mother's job to keep the apartment clean, to do most of the heavy lifting as far as childcare was concerned, and of course, to cook all of our meals. I'd be lying if I said that I remember what it was that she cooked at the time. I've been told I was an incredibly picky eater as a child, and while I have memories of eating my favorite food, blueberry yogurt with cheese doodles mixed in, all of my childhood obesity cases throw your hands up, I'm inclined to believe that a couple of 35mm shots of me eating said dish are what I really remember. My first food memory is from when I was six years old. One night a week, because of her day job as a teacher, 
in her graduate degree pursuit, my mother was required to stay late in the city at Hunter College. On that night, it became my father's job to feed me. Daddy's night to make dinner is the phrase that I remember. McDonald's, 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 McDonald's. My father was a well-crafted male of a type, meaning he didn't know how to boil water. Or at the very least, he'd committed 100% to a lifelong performance art spectacle of giving the impression that he didn't. So daddy's night to make dinner meant him buying us McDonald's, 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 McDonald's. A happy meal for me, of course, all nice and boxed up with a toy to boot. There are more 35mm pictures of me enjoying cheeseburgers and yellow wrappers and fries from little white sacks. Sometimes McNuggets in place of the cheeseburger. McDonald's, 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 McDonald's. I remember everything about those trips. The drive through at the same McDonald's every time. The divide was set up right then. My father, the good guy, who, when he cooked, delivered food that on a taste basis would never be as good as what my mother, the villain, cooked. I swear though, and unless new information becomes available, I'll go to my grave believing this. There was a wholesomeness to it all. It's probably just nostalgia, but it didn't feel evil then, or now. As much as I try, I can't bring myself to feel anything but happiness when I think about it. But tonight, I'm going to go back to New York, and I'll go back to my apartment and find a 10-year-old boy parked in front of my TV, eating dinner. Now, I don't need to charge you for a research report that tells you that most television sets are not more than six feet away from the dinner table. And that dinner table is your battlefield and your prize. This is the home your customers really live in. This is your dinner table. Dad likes Sinatra, son likes the Rolling Stones. The TV's always on. Vietnam playing in the background. The news wins every night. And you're starving. And not just for dinner. What if there was another table where everybody gets what they want when they want it? It's bright and clean and there's no laundry, no telephone and no TV. And we can have the connection that we're hungry for. There may be chaos, well, But there's family supper at Burger Chef. Over time, as I got older and my brother entered the picture, the routine remained. It just moved to a different day. McDonald's on Friday nights became an institution in our household. It was one of the few breaks. You can hear these air quotes, right? My mother ever got from the job she worked after she got home from work. In an era of awareness about factory farming and of Morgan Spurlock-esque stunts, it's easy to rag on McDonald's. 
It's unhealthy. It's borderline evil. I know and agree. But it's ubiquitous and inexpensive and consistent and fast. And for many women out there, some women who are in far worse positions than my mother was ever in, those are important qualities. For many families, those are important qualities. Okay, no hiding anymore. I said that this would be about the food my mother made. And in two weeks, in part two of the food my mother made, that's just what I'll do. I'll tell you the rest. For more information about I Better Start writing this down, visit ibetterstart.net. The New York Times Magazine article that I mentioned at the beginning of the show is called Memories of Meals Past. It was published on October 30th, 2015. I've included a link to it in the show notes. The epigraph for this episode is from a New York Times piece by Jacques Pepin called Jacques Pepin's Food Memories. It was published on December 8th, 2015. I've included a link to it as well in the show notes. If you want to support my show, there are three things you can do. One, pledge a dollar or two at patreon.com forward slash I better start. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash I better start. Once you've done that, and thank you so much for supporting me if you do, you can rate the show in iTunes. If you already have, thank you. And now convince a friend to. Rating the show in iTunes moves us onto and up lists and in front of new eyeballs, and hopefully into new ears. After that, you can spark some chatter about the show on social media, share our Facebook posts, tag a friend in the comments on our Instagram pictures, retweet our tweets. I know it's stupid. Hashtag. Hashtags are stupid. But it helps to attract new listeners to the show, and that's what we really need to grow. I Better Start Writing This Down is sponsored by Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com forward slash I Better Start, you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial and help to support the show all at the same time. That's not nothing, you know. Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from. One title that I think IBSWTD listeners would enjoy is Food, A Love Story by Jim Gaffigan. When I was searching in Audible to find a book to recommend here, I almost went with Michael Pollan's The Omnivore's Dilemma. But I decided that by the halfway mark, this season's skull and crossbones theme might have started to weigh on everyone. So I went with the laughs that Jim Gaffigan provides. To download Food, A Love Story for free, go to audibletrial.com forward slash I better start. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash I better start to help support the show. And in return, receive a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial. I better start writing this down as a scrumptious social media presence. SoundCloud, 
Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, we're everywhere. All you need to remember, our username in all of those spaces, I better start. That's it. Hopefully, you wrote it down. So yeah, so this episode that I'm recording next is about food. Do you have do you have a favorite food? Uh rapes. Rapes are fine for me. They give healthy things. And I like them and they eat for dinner. We like to eat lemon for dinner. You like to eat lemons for dinner? Yeah. And yeah. What, what about breakfast? What do you like to eat for breakfast? I like to eat pineapple. They, they have healthy protein in them. <laughs> they have healthy protein in them? What about uh, lunch? What do you like to eat for lunch? I like to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And Lots of protein in it. You're 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 pretty heavy on the protein today, huh? Yes. Marlo, what do you like to eat for lunch? She likes to eat breast milkshake. She likes to eat a breast milkshake. Yeah, this is your own camera. Right. Yeah. What about uh, dessert? What's your favorite dessert? I like the English muffins too, and I. And they have a lot of protein in them for English muffins. But what's your favorite treat? Like to have like after dinner, like your favorite treat? Pie. Pie? Yeah, pie. He, he, I like apple pie. You like apple pie? Me too. Yeah. Then we will like breast milk pie. Marlo, do you like breast milk pie? Yeah, she does. She does? Yeah, we'll crunchy branches.